We turn in Scripture to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. In this passage of Scripture, you have um, the ten tribes of Israel rebelling against King Rehoboam. And they established Jeroboam as their king. So in this chapter, you have the split of Israel into the two kingdoms, Judah in the south and the ten tribes in the north. We start at verse 25, where we read of what King Jeroboam did to keep the people from going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord there. 1 Kings 12, verse 25, Then Jeroboam, king of the ten tribes of Israel, built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month. Instead of it being the seventh month, he made a feast now on the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar, which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So far we read God's holy and infallible word, a very significant event in the history of the church It's on the basis of that passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism found on page 21 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 35, where you have the treatment of the second commandment. This is what Jeroboam's sin was. It was sin against the second commandment. We'll look at that briefly in the preaching. What doth God require in the second commandment? That we in no wise represent God by images, nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His Word. Are images then not at all to be 
made? God neither can nor may be represented by any means. But as two creatures, though they may be represented, yet God forbids to make or have any resemblance of them, either in order to worship them or to serve God by them. But may not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity? No, for we must not pretend to be wiser than God, who will have his people taught not by dumb images, but by the lively preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you thankful? Are you thankful? Because this is where we are in the catechism. We were those who were on our way to eternal damnation in hell. We were those who were full of hatred and enmity against God. We were children of wrath, deserving of eternal punishment of both body and soul. And God, the maker of heaven and earth, chose to show us mercy. And he saved us by himself coming in our flesh, in and through his son Jesus Christ, and himself bearing the punishment that we brought upon ourselves because of our sins. God has saved us not only by sending his son to die on the cross in our place, but also by sending his Holy Spirit into our hearts and delivering us from the bondage and the tyranny of sin. So that we have friendship with God. We have peace with God. We know God. We are the friends of God. And instead of hell, we have the hope of heaven. We've been begotten unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have the assurance even day by day as we continue on our pilgrimage that God cares for us. And He is working all things not against us but for us and our good. Are you thankful? Are we thankful? This is where we are in the catechism. We've seen how great our sin and misery is outside of Christ. We've seen how we are delivered from our sin and misery through Jesus Christ. And now we are looking at how a Christian must live and will live and wants to live in order to show his thankfulness to God. And we're looking at the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are the rule for the Christian's life of thankfulness. The Ten Commandments show us how we are to show our thankfulness to God for the salvation He's given us. This morning, we come to the Second Commandment. And we want preaching on this. We want preaching on the Second Commandment because we, in our inner man, want to know how to show our thankfulness to God. And our thankfulness to God will be reflected in our attitude towards this commandment. In the sermon, we will be making some references to 1 Kings 12 and the great sin of Jeroboam, who showed himself to be unthankful. We take as our theme, worshiping God without images. First, we look at what is forbidden. That's the main emphasis in the, in the commandment. Second, we look at what is required. And then third, we look at the blessings that are enjoyed. In order to understand the second commandment, we ought to first make sure to distinguish it from the first commandment. 
Last time we looked at the first commandment. The second commandment is closely related to it, but it is different. And the difference is this. The first commandment says, Whom shall you worship? Worship God and God alone. Whom do you worship? Not idols. Worship only God. And the second commandment now comes on the heels of that first commandment and says, How do you worship now this God? Worship God, and now how do you worship Him? Worship Him this way. First of all, no images of Him. And then second of all, no using any images in order to worship God through those images. No images of God. You're worshiping God. That's the first commandment. Now how? No images of Him. And no making any images in order to worship God through the image. Now, as we'll see in the rest of this sermon, this commandment is exceedingly deep, exactly because there are many ways in which we make images of God. But let's start out with the basic idea. In the second commandment, God forbids first that we make any graven image, that we make any representation of God, any statue, any painting, or any physical image that is meant to represent God himself. No graven image. And second, God forbids that we make any kind of image, any kind of sculpture or painting or drawing, so as to worship God through that image. That's what God forbids in the second commandment. Now, having that put before us, we need to ask the question, why? And that's what I want to look at, especially in this first point. Why does God forbid us from making an image of Him? And to answer that question, there are a number of things that we need to point out. I have five things to point out about why images of God and to worship God through an image are not tolerable. First, God forbids us from making an image of Him because it is simply impossible to accurately represent God by means of an image. That's what the Catechism says in answer 97. God neither can nor may be represented by any means. God can't be represented by an image. It's simply impossible to represent God accurately by means of an image. And that's true because, first of all, God is spiritual. God is pure spirit. Now, we we know that there's a spiritual realm. We are spiritual creatures too, but the angels are spiritual creatures. Well, God is not just spiritual. God is pure spirit. God is love. God is righteousness. God is holiness. God is wisdom. He is pure spirit. And He is invisible. By definition, He can't be seen. That's part of who He is. And so to make an image of God is right away to say something about God that's simply not true of God. To make an image of God is to say that God can be seen and God can be pictured. But no, that's, that's a false representation of God. That's a lie. God is a spirit. God is invisible. God cannot be represented by an image of our creation. Second of all, not only is he a spiritual being, but he is also infinite. And as we saw last time uh, with the first commandment, God is a simple being. You cannot break God up into parts. And the reality is, how can you make an image that captures that truth accurately? The reality is, as soon as you draw an image of God, you're limiting God. You're breaking Him up into parts, and God cannot be limited. 
And so as you make an image of God, you're minimizing who God is. You're lying about who God is. And then in addition to those two things, that God is spiritual and God is infinite and a simple being, God is also an unchanging God. And an image is something that changes. An image fades and rots away. An image needs someone to take care of it, to tend to it, to clean it up, to wash it down. A statue of God maybe needs someone to transport it. And the point is, God says, don't represent me that way. You, can't, you may not represent me by dumb images because that's not a faithful reflection of who I am. I don't need you to carry me around. I don't need you to tend to me, to prop me up. I'm God. And an image of God always lies about who God is. That's why in Habakkuk 2 verse 18, God says that images are liars. Listen to these words from Habakkuk 2 verse 18. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image, and a teacher of lies. That's, that's how God speaks of a graven image. It is a teacher of lies. Images of God are always liars. And an image of God is an image that's teaching a lie. It's impossible for God to be accurately reflected in an image. So that's the first reason images are forbidden. It is simply impossible to accurately represent God by means of an image. And the second reason that images are forbidden, images of God, is the fact that God is a jealous God. And that goes hand in hand with what we just said. God is jealous of His own glory. And He's jealous of His own majesty. And He will not have His glory minimized. He will not have His majesty slighted. And that's exactly what an image will do. It will give you a twisted and corrupted idea of who God is. And God is perfectly jealous. He, he knows the glory that He deserves. And He demands that glory. And He doesn't minimize that. That's what it means for Him to be a jealous God. An idol God might tolerate images of Himself. Baal might tolerate images of Himself. But God, the true God, will not tolerate images of Himself. He knows His glory. The third reason that images are forbidden is the fact that only God can say how He is. And we'll come to back to that later on in the sermon. That's a big point of the sermon this morning. Let's recognize right now, only God Himself can tell us who He is. The only reason you and I can rightly know God is because God Himself has graciously revealed Himself to us in His Word. Of ourselves, we don't rightly know God. And of ourselves, we only twist the knowledge of God into a lie. And the point is, to make an image of God, whether it be a physical image or a mental image, it is always to take away from what God Himself has revealed to us about Himself. That's really the definition of making an image of God. In order to make any image of God, you have to contribute to it. You have to add to or take away from what God Himself has revealed about Himself. So the sin of image worship lies exactly in this fact that when we make an image of God, we are turning away from God's revelation of Himself and we're turning to our own imaginations and we are forming our own conception of who God is or who God should be. 
Oh yes, I worship Him. That's the first commandment. But now I'm going to worship Him according to my imagination and my conception of Him. That's the second commandment. Don't do that. The fact is, only God can say how He is and what He looks like. So that's the third reason we must not have images. Because an image always adds our own words to describe who God is. Rather than resting with how God has described Himself and revealed Himself in His Word. Now, to go in a slightly different direction, we can say this. The fourth reason images of God are forbidden is that images of God not only minimize who God is, but those very images also minimize who we are as the children of God. They take away from who we are as God's people. Because, exactly because they minimize who God is. And God is not just jealous over himself, God is jealous over his people. Images of God take away from who we are in this sense. Our calling is to reflect God. Our calling is to reflect the image of God. We are image bearers of God. That's the reality. God has made us, renewed us after his own image. And the problem now is this. If you make some kind of image of God... Not only does that give you a false representation of who God is, that is also going to negatively shape you and who you are as the child of God, as one who's called to bear the image of God. And you're going to start patterning yourself after the image that you've made rather than after God Himself. Think of it this way. We already sang it this morning. How often doesn't the Bible tell us how the people who make idols are just like the idols themselves. The idols are dumb, they cannot talk. The idols are weak, they can't do anything. And just so are the people who make the idols and worship the idols. They become in the image of their idol. The idols are earthy, and the people who serve them are earthy and become earthy. Well, that's true of God's people as well in our worship of God. If we make an image of God, the reality is we will begin to reflect that image in our behavior, in our attitudes and activities. And God says, no, image me, bear my image. And just as I am spiritual and just as I am truth and righteousness and holiness and wisdom, so you as my children, you must be spiritual as I am spiritual. You must be holy as I am holy. You must be righteous and you must be wise. Be clothed with these things, just as I am clothed with these things. God is a spirit. God is truth. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I hope I'm not making this more complicated than it is. The point is, how we worship, not whom we worship, but now how we worship, will have its effect on us and our attitudes and our behavior. Whom? No whom you worship, that's true, and how you worship will shape who you are. And God will not have us make images of Him, not just for His glory, but for our sake. He wants us to rightly know Him and faithfully reflect His glory in our own lives. And so for our sakes as well, God would not have us make an image of Him. And fifth, finally, and again from a slightly different point of view, God forbids to try 
God forbids us from trying to worship Him through an image. Because God has provided His own mediator. And we could even say, I think God has provided His own image. We may not try to worship God through images because if you would try to do that, worship God through an image, you would really be making a mediator to worship God through the image. You would be trying to approach God by means of that image. And God says, no, I've already provided a mediator for you. And that mediator is one who bears my image perfectly. That mediator is one who reflects exactly who I am. And that mediator, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is the express image of the Father. In a way, I could put it this way. God will not have us worship Him through images because such an image not only minimizes who God is, not only has a negative influence on who we are, but it minimizes who Jesus is as the image of God who is righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge come in the flesh. To make an image of God is really an attack on who Jesus is as the one who is the image of God. You want an image of God? Look to Jesus. And to make an image of God is really to attack who Jesus is as the only mediator there is. So those are five reasons why images are forbidden. It gets right to the heart of who God is and who we are and who Jesus is. Now I think all of this raises a further question for us, especially these last comments. What about Jesus? Who is the image of God? What about images we make of Jesus, especially in this Christmas season? We're probably going to be bombarded by images of Jesus. And there might be some people who say, we can have pictures of Jesus. Of course, we're not going to worship the image. Are we going to try to worship God through the image? But since Jesus had a human nature, I mean, even leaving that question aside, are we going to worship God through the image of Jesus? Jesus had a human nature. And so we can make pictures of Jesus. After all, it's, it's good for our children to be reminded that Jesus had a human body. He was fully man. So in our children's storybooks, we can have pictures of Jesus. That's what some people will say. Well, how do we respond to that kind of thinking? Well, what we need to remember is that Jesus is God. Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, is God. Come in the flesh. He is the incarnate one. That's the one we're celebrating in this Christmas season. As Jesus himself said, the Father and I are one. I and my Father are one. And you can never separate who Jesus is in his human nature from who he is in his divine nature. They are inseparable. You may not separate the two natures of Jesus. Belgian Confession even emphasizes that even when he was dead in the grave, his divine nature wasn't separated from his human nature. We may not separate his divine nature from his human nature. And, and so, for an image of Jesus, to be an accurate image of Jesus, it may not minimize or take away from who Jesus is as God. Every image of Jesus must itself be an image of who Jesus is as God. It needs to capture that reality. Otherwise, you're, you're minimizing who Jesus is. You see him just as a man. 
And so the reality is, because no image can capture who Jesus is as one who is fully God, any and every image of Jesus will itself necessarily be an image that minimizes who your Jesus is. It can never accurately represent who Jesus was and who he is. In fact, we come to the same conclusion that we came to with God. Any image of Jesus is a lie. Images of Jesus are liars. That's all they are. It's a, it's a human imagining what they think Jesus should look like. Put it on a piece of paper. And they all fail to capture who Jesus is as fully God. In addition, not only will an image of Jesus fail to capture who Jesus is, it's going to give you a corrupt view of who God is. Now this is the striking thing. Think of when Jesus walked on this earth and in his earthly ministry. As he was walking on this earth, as he, he took the children into his lap and he blessed them, as he rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, as he cleansed the temple, and people saw Jesus, they saw God, the image of God in the flesh. As people saw Jesus, the angels sitting in heaven, if I, the angels at least in heaven, could look down on Jesus and the angels could say, He's just like his father. He's just like the one whom we worship here in heaven. He's the perfect reflection of his father in heaven. His facial expression, his tone of voice, his body language, his righteousness, his holiness, his true knowledge. It's just a perfect picture of his father in heaven. In fact, isn't that what Jesus himself said to his disciples? He said, he who has seen me has seen the father. Now, the reality is, although Jesus himself could image the Father perfectly, and he did, our pictures of Jesus always minimize who he is. And by minimizing who Jesus is, our pictures minimize who God is. Exactly because Jesus is the image of God. And you're making an image of God when you draw that picture. We're going to see God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to be able to see God in the face of Jesus Christ. But our pictures don't capture that same image that we're going to see when we get to glory. And if you have a diminished view of Jesus here below, through the image that's teaching you, you're going to have a diminished view of God. So no matter what, every picture of Jesus we make is a picture that gives us a massively reduced and warped and corrupted picture of God. It is a picture of God, but it's a corrupted picture of God. And that's exactly what the second commandment forbids. Do not make any graven image of me. Well, now we might say to ourselves, well, are we really prone to this sin today? Maybe we talk about images of Jesus, but, but do we really struggle with this sin in other ways today? We're not making a golden calf like Jeroboam made. What Jeroboam did was wicked. We don't do that, do we? Well, what we need to appreciate this morning, congregation, is that besides the first commandment, this second commandment is probably the commandment that we are breaking the most. It's really the forgotten commandment, I think, but it's the commandment that, that we break the most besides the first commandment. Because what do we always want to do? What we always want to do is this, by nature. We always want to minimize God. 
Oh yes, I will worship God. But, but I want a God who I can control and who I can manipulate. I want to worship God as the God whom I can keep in my own little convenient box. A God whom I can shape according to my own specification, specifications, my own tastes, and, and what I think is suitable. And we do that today not so much by making a physical image that we get to shape and mold, but by making a mental and spiritual image of God. And we mold and we shape that mental image to our specifications. We really ask the question, okay, I'm going to worship God. Now, how do I want to worship God? As if that's the question I get to answer. What kind of God do I want God to be? Oh yes, maybe he's a God who, who's going to insist on having a strong work ethic. And maybe he's a God who, who insists on keeping the Sabbath day holy. And, and maybe these are things that I find easy and acceptable, convenient to do. But, but now to remember that God is also the God who is sovereign in salvation. And he's not only the God who elects some, but he's also the God who reprobates others. Or to remember that he is a God who is holy, who will have his justice satisfied, who must punish sin. I want just a God of love. That's all I want. And I find these other doctrines to be too hard to embrace. So, so I will just change these things about God. And I will mold God according to my own specifications. And if some of the things God says in the Bible are too hard for the people in society around me, or maybe there are some who want to join my church, but the things that the Scripture teaches are too hard for them, well then, maybe we can drop those, those parts of Scripture. And we can change God just a little bit so that He is more palatable to the tastes of the culture around us or those who want to join us. And what we're doing is making an image of God. That's exactly what the second commandment forbids. Do not make any images of God. And as the second commandment itself implies, what else is the making of an image but this? Hatred of God. He, he, he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate Him. And that hatred comes to expression in the fact that we won't take God as He is, we'll smooth His rough edges, we'll make Him how we want him to be. And what else is that but really hatred of who God is? God, I don't like you the way that you are. I want you to be different. And so I try to change him to fit my taste. That's a real thing, congregation. It's what, it's what is destroying many churches today. It's, what, it's leading many people astray. The breaking of the second commandment. And beloved, I put it all, I couch it all in this language because... This is exactly what Jeroboam was doing when Israel began the road of apostasy in 1 Kings chapter 12. Jeroboam, we read, was afraid that the people might continue to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord according to how God commanded in the temple. And, and so Jeroboam said, not only will they go to Jerusalem, but then in time they would return to King Rehoboam. And so Jeroboam, we read it, he decides to set up those two golden cats, one in Dan in the north, one in Bethel at the south of the kingdom of Israel. And what is he doing when he sets up those golden cats? 
He's not saying, let's switch gods and let's serve an idol. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is this. He's changing how the people worship Jehovah so that it's more convenient for them, so that they keep him as their king. And that's how Jeroboam made a graven image of God. Again, let me emphasize, Jeroboam was not introducing idol worship when he made the golden calves. Not, that, that wasn't his main thing. I mean, by default it was, but that, that's not really what he was doing. He wasn't saying worship other gods, worship Baal. But he was saying, worship Jehovah, you can, you can keep worshiping God, but worship him this way. I know a different way to worship him. And so he made those golden calves, he set up a new priesthood, new altars, and he makes up an image of God. And it was from this sin that Israel would never recover. This was what turned them into the path that led to apostasy and destruction. All the kings after Jeroboam fell into this sin. The ten tribes fell into apostasy. How? Not by introducing Baal worship, but by ignoring the second commandment. And then, remember, when King Ahab, a few kings later, decides to introduce Baal worship, that was only a step. That was only a step down the road that Jeroboam had set the people on. How do you get that full-blown idolatry? How do you get people offering their children to Molech? You get there by making an image of God. And how do we make an image of God? By ignoring what He commands us in His Word, making up our own instructions for how God should be worshipped, both in the divine worship service and in our own homes and families. And what is the first step in image worship? You sever yourself from God's Word. That's what leads us then to the second point of the sermon, what is required. We've looked at what is forbidden, but what is required? And what is required of the second commandment but simply this, that we worship God no other way than how He has commanded us in His Word. It's that simple. Now, in order to understand what is required in the second commandment, what we need to understand is this. God has revealed Himself to us and we don't know Him except through His revelation of Himself. We don't think accurately of God except our thoughts are held captive to His Word. For sinners such as we are, the only way to know God is through His own revelation and by His Spirit, through Jesus Christ. And so in order to worship God aright, we must listen to God's own revelation of Himself and we must submit to how He commands us to worship Him. And that's where we come to the Bible and we say the Bible. And the Bible alone will tell us what we need to do in order to worship God properly. I don't know of myself what God wants. How audacious of me. How arrogant of me that I should say, God, I know better than you. I don't, I don't need to listen to what you tell me. I, I know what you will like in my worship. That, that's being wiser than God. That's, the catechism uses that language as well. We don't know what is good worship. In fact, by nature, we're only inclined to give God worship that is offensive to Him. 
Only God knows what is acceptable worship. And in His mercy, He's revealed that acceptable worship in His Word. And so the requirement is that we worship God no otherwise than how He has commanded us in His Word. You see, that, that is also why image worship is forbidden, because it turns all of this around. The sin, I just emphasize this, but the sin of image worship is, first of all, that we turn away from God and we turn to ourselves and our own imaginations and we form our own conception of what God will like. And we worship God in the way not as He has commanded, but the way we think should be acceptable. We determine for God the kind of worship that should be acceptable to Him. That's making yourself, that is idolatry, making yourself God. That's, and that's making an image of God, dictating to God the kind of worship He should desire. So the first step of image worship is that we turn away from God's Word. The first step of image worship is that we do not want God's Word as our sole authority. The first step in image worship is that we don't search God's Word for the worship he finds acceptable. The great requirement of the second commandment then is this. Search the scriptures. Appropriate the scriptures. Take the scriptures to yourself. Make it your own. That's what's required. You worship God. Now how do you worship him? Take this to yourself. Go to catechism. Preach the word. Study the scriptures. And when you learn there about who your God is and how he would have you serve him, then do it. And submit to his revelation. Don't minimize. Don't add to or take away from his word. And when you want an image of Jesus. When you want an image of Jesus in this Christmas season. Whether that's even right or not. I hope you understand the language. But don't make an image of Jesus. Go to God's word. And let God's word shape how you think about Jesus. So that you have a right conception of Jesus. Let the word be how your children think of Jesus. Because in the Bible, you are going to see the majesty and the glory and the condescension and the, the saving love of Jesus in a way that no image can capture. God will not have his people taught by dumb images. What is ironic is that one way in which the second commandment is often ignored is, is actually right here in the public worship service. That's why we as a Reformed congregation adhere to what is called the regulative principle of worship. I taught that to the catechism students a, a few weeks ago. The regulative principle of worship, which is a principle, a rule, that regulates how we worship in the official divine worship service. The regulative principle of worship is that God himself regulates. That, that is the principle. That is what regulates our worship. God himself rules how we worship here in the worship service. God regulates worship by clearly prescribing in His Word what our worship must consist of. He tells us how to worship Him. And that refers both to the elements of the worship service, preaching, prayer, singing, um, reading of Scripture. God, God commands us to have these things in the worship service. And it also... God regulates the, the spiritual disposition that we must have as worshipers. Worship in spirit and in truth. Worship as a congregation. 
worship joyfully, reverently. Really, a whole sermon could be spent on outlining the regulative principle of worship. Really, a whole series could be spent on why we worship, how we worship in church. But the point is, for you young people, there's so many different worship styles out there. What we want here is worship regulated by God's word, because that's the second commandment. That's the second commandment. We don't have praise bands. We don't have drama or liturgical dancing or skits. Why? It's not, it's not because we want a traditional worship service. I don't even like that term, traditional worship service. It's not about being traditional versus being contemporary. It's about being biblical. I want to worship as God wants the worship to be brought to Him. That's why worship doesn't change. Worship styles don't change over years and centuries. Because God's desire for how His people worship Him doesn't change. Why don't we have these other things in the worship service? Praise bands and skits. Because It's because we have no reason to believe that God wants these things. God hasn't told us that He wants these things. Where does it come from that, that we think that God would like these things? It's not coming from God. And, and ultimately, our position is also this. Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is sufficient for all things, even for how we are commanded to worship God in, in the worship service. If God wanted these things, He would have commanded these things. He would have let us know that He wants these things. And He has revealed what He wants us to do. So we, we listen to that. That's why we have the worship that we do. And because I'm thankful, right? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Him. Because we're thankful. Because we know the cross. And we know salvation in Christ. You see, the approach we take to worship as reformed as a reformed church is radically different from the approach of many today. Many churches and many people today are asking, what do the people want? What do the people want? That's what Jeroboam asked too, isn't it? Going all the way to Jerusalem is too inconvenient. What do you want? I know what your flesh wants. Make a golden calf in Dan and in Bethel. We need to be asking the question, what are we actually here for? Are we here for what we want or what our Savior wants? Whose house is this? Is this my house? Is this your house? Or is this the Lord's house? Well, if we are in the Lord's house, then we follow the Lord's rules. And how do we know what He wants? We look to His Word for the commandments He has given us. And why do we do this? Again, why do we care? Why are we so careful? Because we're thankful. Because we're thankful for Jesus Christ. And we want to do what honors Him. What does the Catechism emphasize? God does, doesn't want His people taught by dumb images. God wants His people taught by the lively preaching of His Word. The Word is central in worship, in the preaching, in the prayers, in the scripture reading, in the singing. It's the Word. We're having communion with God. This is not entertainment. This is not one man to, to a crowd of people entertaining them. This is fellowship with God and His people. And the Word of God is coming to us and we are receiving it. And we're honoring Him as we give it our devotion our, and our attention. It's the Word. It's fellowship with God. That's worship. Being with God 
and seeing him and hearing him through his word. And, and why, why the word? Well, because this comes from God. The word is safe. It's God's word. This is not man's word. And so it's safe. We, we can trust it. This is God's. That's what the second commandment requires, all those things. Worship God only as he has commanded us in his word. And what does God say? Even at the end of the second commandment, it's a lengthy commandment. What does God say in like the second half of that commandment? God says, for those who keep this commandment, there is a rich blessing. There is a blessing to be enjoyed. This is not to hinder you, this commandment. This is not to burden you or put you in a straitjacket. This is to liberate you to worship in a way that will be spiritually satisfying to your own souls. There's no blessing in worshiping images. In the second commandment, God himself says, there's only a judgment coming upon those who hate God and who show that hatred by refusing to worship as God has commanded. I think you can see that judgment falling upon the generations. This is a real thing that's happening even in our own day. God's judgment coming upon those who unto the third and fourth generation are hating him and they're turning away from the proper worship of God. And they're, they're turning to the things that satisfy the cravings of men and the cravings of women and the cravings of children. The earthly cravings. As one generation departs from the true worship of God, it's only setting up the next generation to go further in the way of apostasy. From the golden calves to the worship of Baal. You can see that judgment in the, in the northern ten tribes of Israel. Their, their images, those golden calves, right? You, with every king, you read that. They did not depart from the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. It, it's a refrain that repeats itself over and over again. And the, the image worship was a plague on the entire nation. So that even by the time of King Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, most of God's people had moved church. In a sense, they had left the ten tribes of Israel to stay with the true worship of God in Judah. Hezekiah even calls the people when he observes the Passover, come to Jerusalem, and many do. And that's when they move to Jerusalem. And then God takes the ten tribes and he scatters them throughout the Assyrian Empire. That's, that's all history. There's no blessing in worshiping images. But in the keeping of the second commandment, there is a blessing. God says, I will show mercy to thousands of them, thousands of generations, generation after generation after generation. I will show mercy unto thousands of generations of them that love me, that do love me, and keep my commandments for how they are to worship me. God will sanctify, God will bless, God will guide, God will comfort, God will show mercy as we worship him according to his word. And how you and I worship today exerts a crucial influence on the generations that follow after us. Keeping the second commandment brings great blessings upon God's people. So we forget about ourselves, even for our children's sake and our grandchildren's sake. This is not about me. This is not about me. It is about Him. What does He want? And then God gives you the joy, the spiritual satisfaction of worshiping Him aright. That itself is the blessing of the second commandment, which is a blessing of God's grace alone.
That's the blessing enjoyed. Worshiping God aright. Worshiping God. How? Worshiping God aright. Well, let me end this morning with this question. Getting back to where we started. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? You know your salvation in Jesus Christ. You know that old man of sin that still cleaves to you. You know the misery of it. You know the darkness of it. And you've been saved from it. You've been saved from this, from a kingdom of darkness. You have the hope of glory. Are you thankful? God has liberated you so that you can worship Him aright. He's equipped you with His Spirit to worship Him aright. He's given you spiritual discernment to take His Word and understand it and apply it. Are you thankful? This, this is how you show your thankfulness. Put away your images. Put away your images. Know God rightly and worship Him according to His Word. His Word. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for His Spirit. And we thank Thee for Thy commandments. Shape us and mold us according to Thy commandments to give Thee the honor that is Thy due. Write Thy law upon our hearts that we might show Thee our love and our thankfulness. Bless this preaching. And shape our hearts and our lives by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.